evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. This, this is 710 ESPN Seattle's presentation of the NFL Draft. Watch the 710 ESPN Seattle Draft Tracker on our video stream at 710sports.com. Come on, man! Well, we had a little bit of a surprise ending the last hour, but we're all here to react to it. We're swapping out Jake Heaps. Got to go watch his son Jackson play flag football game. Have fun out there, Jackson. Instead, we are bringing in Michael Bumpus, though, another football expert. So I think we're doing pretty okay here. Uh, Bump, first of all, how are you? I'm doing well, Stace. How about yourself? Doing great. And the Seahawks just made a move not that long ago. Surprised all of us. They were at pick 217 overall, set to make a pick. Ooh, about five minutes from now is when they were expected to. They ended up trading up, sending pick 217 and pick 250 in the seventh round to the Chicago Bears to swap up to 208 and select an offensive tackle uh, Stone Forsyth, great name for an offensive tackle, especially for a gigantic offensive tackle at, what was he, Paul, 6'8", 3, I don't know, 912, 6'9", six, nine. Six, nine, and over 300 pounds. A huge dude. Uh, now, that means that the Seahawks draft technically right now is over with three picks. Cornerback, wide receiver, offensive lineman. I think those were everyone's top three priorities. So let's start with this. If the draft class is over now, if they do not swap back in, are you okay with it? I am all good with it, Stace. Uh, going into this draft, I said, look, you got to take care of the little guys. You need wide receiver. You need a corner. Oh, okay. Bump. Sorry not to interrupt you. We actually have Stone Forsyth speaking with reporters right now. We'll get right back to you. Let's go to Stone. All right, everyone. Thank you. Jackie, you want to start us off? Yeah, thanks. Sure, congratulations and welcome to Seattle Stone. Um, can you just tell us, kind of put this this moment into words for you? Um, I mean, it's, it's hard to describe in words, but I'm um, just kind of all that hard work's kind of finally paying off. Um, it's just it's just an honor to hear your name called, uh, even though kind of it's later on in the day. But I mean, I'm still I'm still happy, so grateful for the opportunity to get out there and play. Corbin. Stone, congratulations on being picked. Uh, did you have communications with the Seahawks at all during the pre-draft process? And have they indicated what spot they're planning to play you, the right or left side? Um, I had about two or three Zooms kind of with some of the coaches and a scout. Um, they told me I both or I'd get out there, kind of play both, and just kind of compete for a job and just kind of see if I can find my spot on the field. Jen? First of all, Stone is a fantastic name for an offensive lineman. Yeah. Where did you spend the most time on the offensive line in the last few years? Uh, last few years, I'd probably say I spent more time on the left. Um, I always kind of worked on the right side, too, but um, just kind of more left this past season. And what do you take most pride in in your game? Uh, just just my size. Uh, I mean, you can't teach size, so I just kind of use my – just kind of learning, learning my body, kind of learning my arms and everything like that. So just kind of using using myself in the past game and kind of keeping those guys off me. Thanks. Tim? Hey, Stone. Congratulations. Um, I think there was a prevailing thought that you would be gone by now, that uh, you might have even gone as early as, as yesterday. What have these two days been like for you, and why do you think it took until the sixth round for someone to come and get you? Uh, it's just been a long waiting game. Um I mean, I, that's a question I kind of want to find out myself, kind of why it took so long for everyone. But um, still, still grateful to get the chance and to hear my name called. John?
Yeah, Stone, the, the Seahawks have it in Dwayne Brown, one of the better left tackles in the game. Just talks out of you to come here and learn from him, from a veteran like that. Uh, I mean, um, it's just, just kind of you're coming in, kind of starting at the bottom again. So it's just, that's a great person to look up to and kind of learn uh, things he takes to his game kind of each week, kind of pick up on the small routine things he does. So it's just kind of it's going to be a great learning experience, kind of learn from a guy like that. Curtis? Hey, Stone, congrats. Uh, you know, we're getting to learn you here from scouting reports and stuff. They kind of put you as really good in pass protection, maybe a little less so in run game. How would you kind of describe your game? Do you think that's accurate? And, and what do you think is the biggest thing you need to work on making the move to the pro game? Um, I'd say that's kind of accurate. Uh, we didn't pass a lot. I mean, we didn't run a lot at Florida this past year, so I was kind of brushed up on that pass game. So I've just done a great job over the few, uh, past year or two kind of in the uh, pass game. So I know I definitely need to work on the run game. It's kind of been a big emphasis this offseason for me to do. So I just need to kind of press those angles and kind of hold those guys and get just kind of more movement at the point of attack. That's kind of my big focus. Michael Sean. Hey, Stone, congrats. Um, is there a story behind your first name at all? Uh, not really. I mean, just my parents always said that if uh, football didn't work out, I could kind of be WWE, kind of with the name Stone, something like The Rock, kind of along those lines. But uh, no real story. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, my question just got stolen, but I'll throw throw another one. I, you're you're six eight or six nine. Did you did you play basketball at all? Did you always have size, or where where does the size come from in your family, or? Um, I mean, my dad's tall, mom's kind of tall, um, but dad's nowhere close to 6'8", so uh, that's kind of came out of the blue, but um, never really got into basketball. I uh, just kind of always stuck with football and did shot put and discus in high school. Greg? Congratulations, Stone. What do you, right. I'm sorry if you, I joined late, I'm sorry if you were asked this. What do you know about Seattle, the Seahawks, the team? What you headed to? Um, I know they got a great quarterback. Um, they kind of got a need for some offensive linemen guys kind of come there to help. Um, kind of got a former teammate there. Um, and just I know they got the 12th man and kind of stuff like that. Loud stadium uh, coming from the swamp kind of translate from there. And um, just kind of ready to compete. You know, are you close to Freddie Swain other than just a teammate? Yeah, no, that's my boy. We kind of hang out on the weekends back in the day. Um, his girlfriend and my girlfriend are real good friends. So it would be nice to get up there and hang out with them again. Brady. Hi, Stone. Uh, congratulations. Brady Henderson here from uh, ESPN. What, uh, wh where did you think that you were going to go, uh, meaning what round, and, and how, um, how likely did you think the Seahawks were at some point in this draft for you? Um, I mean, I just kind of stayed out of it. That's the kind of guy I am. I'm not going to read into any of that stuff. But um, kind of when I first declared, that kind of said mid to late round. So I was expecting kind of anywhere from like, Three to six, kind of that was what I was feeling. Um, just kind of after pro day, kind of got a little more hype after that. So uh, kind of some of the family was expecting day two, but I didn't get my hopes up too high. So um, just kind of just glad to hear, hear I finally got a team, finally got a home. What do you like to do when you're not playing football? Um, just kind of being in Florida group and outdoors. I like fishing a lot, uh, grilling. Uh, I got a Traeger. Uh, and just kind of out, being outdoors, hunting, stuff like that. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Thanks. Anything else for Stone? 
All right, thank you, everyone. Stone, thank you. Thanks. Now, I have a lot of questions coming out of that press conference with Stone Forsyth. Not as passionate questions as Paul does. He wants to know exactly what Stone Forsyth, who in Florida, went to Florida, uh, he wants to know what the heck Stone is hunting. What are you hunting when you're six foot nine? What can you possibly creep up on? We'll have to ask him that question if we ever speak to him. Now, one of the questions Stone Forsyth, new Seahawks offensive tackle, was asked this by ESPN's Brady Henderson is where he expected to be drafted because if you guys remember, Stone was not expected to fall this far. He said, I just kind of stayed out of it. He was expecting anywhere from three to six. He said his family was expecting him to be a day two pick, meaning round two or three but he wasn't giving his hopes up. Uh, Michael Bumpus with us now. Bump, were you expecting him to go higher? Yeah, I was. Uh, I was surprised this guy was still available. All the projections that I saw had him around round three and four, somewhere between there. But, um, you know, things happen. People have to realize, like, this draft thing is like a chain reaction, mm-hmm. right? When one team does something, it affects another board. That team does something, it affects another board. So I think he was the result of just a chain reaction that happened um, during the draft. Now, fortunately for the Seahawks, it worked out for them. You potentially have the replacement of Dwayne Brown. This guy doesn't have to play right now at the tackle spot. You got Shell on the other side still. Um, he's not going to be forced to play right now. I like the pick. He can develop. That's a big boy, too. And, and people are going to question, can he get his pad, pad level down? I'm sure he can sink his hips. But he's got long arms. When you are a tackle, you want to make those edge rushers take the longest route to the quarterback, and I think he's going to be able to do that. I think the big thing here, seeing as we just heard him say in that press conference, guys, that he's been told by coaches that he's going to compete for a job, both left tackle and right tackle, that means that there's real competition for Cedric Obwehi as the swing tackle for this team. Mm. And honestly, when we saw Cedric Obwehi last year, I think that is definitely something that they needed to do to have somebody else that could at the very least be an option for them at swing tackle. Now, I don't expect him to this season potentially fill right in, but as someone who was projected to be a second or a third round pick that falls this far, maybe it is possible for him to immediately step in as first off that swing tackle and maybe best case scenario a left tackle of the future now a question for both of you because we are going to uh, be looking back at these other two picks that were made especially now that we're joined by Michael Bumpus are either of you expecting the Seahawks to actually to actually trade back into the draft they traded away two picks their two remaining picks in order to go up to 208 and select Stone Forsyth uh, one of their newest offensive tackles that becomes then their final pick of the 2021 NFL draft their only chance to get back in is to trade a pick from 2022 you have to really love somebody to want to trade back in right I mean really love somebody and now that might happen again as you laid out a little bit ago Stacy the last two drafts there has been someone that they saw but I would keep in mind too with Stephen Sullivan who they traded for of course last year he's not on the team anymore so how many draft picks do you want to give up for a guy who it's going to be an uphill battle for him to make the team I personally, if I were John Schneider, would be sitting back satisfied that I was able to find three players, each of them playing positions that the Seahawks did need to address this offseason. It's a wrap. They're done.
They're done, in my opinion. I, I think they're done. I think they got three quality players. I actually talked to Paul Morey before I hopped on the line. He made a good point. He goes, look, they're going to be able to do some work with these undrafted free agents. You know, he feels like there's a lot of talent out there. And honestly, the Hawks might be the best, one of the best at finding talent in the uh, undrafted free agent market. So I think they're done. I think Seahawks fans can relax, enjoy your three picks. I think they're quality three picks. Now you look at these undrafted free agent signings and see where they're going to continue to add depth. If I'm them, I'm looking at that linebacker spot to add some depth. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still a guy out there. We'll see if he gets drafted. Elijah Sullivan, I'm out of Kansas State. I think this guy is a, is a nice outside backer. He's a safety size type dude. He's about six foot two twelve, but can play in the box. There are guys like that who are still available, and I think still may be available after a few hours. Alright, let's actually keep that conversation going. Uh, now that the Seahawks draft for right now is done, and I think Bump expecting it to be done. Paul, for the most part, expecting it to be done as well, certainly says, hey, be cautious if you're going to decide to trade back in. So let's assume that this is the draft class. We're looking at three picks. Let's decide how we feel about it and what the Seahawks are still going to need to address in free agency. What are those priorities? That's coming your way next. You are listening to the Seahawks Draft on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nonstop Seahawks Draft coverage from the first pick to the last on 710sports.com. All right, three days, three new Seattle Seahawks. And for right now, just three Seattle Seahawks. But that's okay because I think we're pretty high on these three picks. Lots of good stuff to talk about. Let's go ahead and go from the top down while we wait to hear from Pete Carroll and Sean Schneider as they wrap up the draft. So, uh, for both of you guys, let's go ahead and start right back at the top. First pick for the Seattle Seahawks was 56 overall wide receiver Dwayne Eskridge out of Western Michigan. He is a smaller guy, could just be a slot receiver, but I think we all agreed that uh, wide receiver was a great need for the Seattle Seahawks. Not only was it a great need, but um, NFL guru, draft insider Michael Bumpus. Bumpus Stradamus. Bumpus Stradamus predicted that Eskridge could be one of the guys that the Seahawks target. Bump, who do you know, Bump? Where do you get this information? <laughs> Stace, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. I'm not, I don't want to do that. HR, I like you, Stace. HR. <laughs> but what, what made you look at Eskridge, go over his tape, and think, this is a guy that would be great in this offense? Well, one, you got to you gotta look at the guys in front of them, right? I'm like, okay, this guy's going to be gone. This guy's going to be mm-hmm, gone. It's right. the process of elimination. And then you kind of narrow it down to like three or four guys where you think could land there. And now I saw him play. I'm like, all right, this guy can be a true slot receiver. 5'9", fast as heck. Um, explosive with the ball in his hands. And that's the type of receiver you need in the Shane Waldron offense. Shane's going to ask you to take this five-yard route and take up the field and get 10 or 15 after the catch. I think he's going to be able to do that. Um, and then just the way that he plays. There are Now, receivers have like that, that stigma that, all oh, they're pretty boys. They don't want to get hit. They get down. That's not the way this dude plays. He's like, look, I'm going to block you. Uh, I'm going to run hard. I'm going to play hard. There's some receivers who are fast, and there's some receivers who are fast and fierce. And this dude is fast and fierce. Not fast and furious. He's fast and fierce. And, uh, and that's what I like about the kid, man. And, and, and you know what? Uh, a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then, but um, – Hey, I look. I do look like I know what I'm doing sometimes. I would like to see him in the movie Fast and the Furious, perhaps running against one of the cars. Perhaps it's Dom Toretto that he's just going in a drag race, uh, running his life one quarter mile at a time. The thing I like the most about this, guys, is that 
it's not just that you want to add something for Shane Waldron's offense. You still want to continue to do what you do really well offensively. And we didn't see it in the second half of the season because for whatever reason, cover two just completely flummoxed the Seattle Seahawks and their ability on offense. But I like that there is now another deep threat. Russ loves throwing the football down the field. Russ might be the best deep ball thrower in the NFL. So in addition to DK Metcalf mm-hmm. and Tyler Lockett, who he's got that uh, Vulcan mind melt with, essentially, now you also have a guy in Dwayne Eskridge who, if he does pan out for you, also has to make every single safety, every single cornerback think twice about how close to the line of scrimmage they play. And that should open things up for the running game, much like the running game and the play-action fakes that Russell Wilson is so good at should open things up down the field for any of these three exceptionally fast burners that they have. One of the important things, too, and and we'll get to a closer look at Trey Brown as a cornerback, but Trey Brown and Dwayne Eskridge, both with experience, potential experience on special teams, certainly Brown uh, on special teams, but they even said Dwayne Eskridge has been a gunner at times, which you normally don't always see for a wide receiver. he's fierce and he's that fast. Exactly. I think that special teams potentially kind of an under certainly an undervalued area in football in general it's like football coaches love good special teamers and fans kind of forget how important they are not every fan just sometimes you overlook it right it's not the part that you're always watching closely to but those guys can make all the difference in the world and you don't realize how in need the Seahawks were of some help there and just look at the bad special teams units across football I mean one that we think of all the time the Chargers are Chargers are always an abomination mm. when it comes to that. The Seahawks last year were very good at it, but that doesn't mean that you can continue to upgrade and find the fastest people that you possibly can to put out there because you want to have some demons in coverage. I love the position of Gunner. I, I think the guys who do play that, it's an interesting job that you have. You are flying down the field. You are supposed to be the first one to the football. And sometimes if you're fast enough and if you're fierce – like we're hearing about Dwayne Eskridge, maybe every now and then we might see him decapitate some dude that's playing punt returner. This is a guy who did play a couple of games at cornerback. I would imagine that he is decent at tackling when it comes to it, which you know not every single wide receiver is good at. Yeah, if you are not a defensive guy, it's harder for you to excel on special teams unless you're a returner. I remember my first snap as a gunner. I'd never played gunner in my life. I mean, I'm like, okay, Bruce DeHaven, rest in peace, was a special teams coordinator. I'm like, Bruce, you asking me to go down and tackle a man. I haven't done that since I was a senior in high school. He goes, you just go out there, you do your best. The great thing about gunner is, you said it, Paul, you're the first guy down there. They're not expecting you to make a play, per se. They're expecting you just to make him move, and everyone else cleans him up. Now you mentioned Eskridge. He's played both sides of the football before. So he has familiarity when it comes to tackling somebody. He's not going to be like bumping 2008 against the Chicago Bears like, what the heck am I doing out here? Uh, he, he has some experience. So, And that's how guys make the team. If you are not a starter, if you're not a go-to guy, someone that they depend on, you make your mark on special teams. And I think this kid can do that. All right, let's look uh, at the second pick that they made, 137 overall. Cornerback Trey Brown out of Oklahoma. I thought quarter or cornerback was their greatest need, though I was not expecting them to take a smaller corner. However, uh, we were debating this with with Jake when it was Paul, me and Jake in here, Bump. Uh, I think they were like, I don't think that this guy is being looked at solely as a slot corner. I think they are very interested in him as an outside corner. And uh, that has piqued my interest, Bump. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because when you think of corners for the Seattle Seahawks, what do you think of? Richard Sherman, long arms, tall, skinny. Now you got DJ on one side who's about 5'9". Then you bring in Trey Brown who's 5'9". 
Is there a shift happening in the Seattle Seahawks philosophy when it comes to corners? Again, I talked to Paul Moore. He's one of the guys that I, that I bounce ideas back and forth from. Then he's, he goes, you know what, Bum? I think there's a shift happening in the NFL to where guys are just looking for speed. And typically your 6'3", 6'4", guys aren't your fastest guys. Um, they can attack the football out the air. Yeah. But they're, they're typically not your fastest guys. Maybe we're seeing a shift in that. And I... I'm happy that they are kind of stepping out of their box and trying something else because a lot of guys get missed because they're not 6'1", 6'2", and they don't look like what you expect a prototypical football player to look like, yet they can still ball. So I'm happy he's getting opportunities. Trey plays like he's 6'2", 6'3", and he's going to hit you. He, he runs around. He makes plays. He, he's very active. Um, so if you just don't look at the measurables and you put on the film, you see a guy who's going to come down and tackle you and who's going to snatch a football out the air when he has the opportunity. And you mentioned the big plays that he made, three straight Big 12 championship games. He made the clinching play, interception, a safety. This guy dragging a guy down, chasing him down when it looked like he was on the way for a breakaway touchdown and helping Oklahoma eventually stop Baylor cold at the one-yard line. He's made big plays in big spots, and I really am intrigued to see this change in philosophy at cornerback. Ugo Amadi's there, as as you guys mentioned, and there's going to be a lot of competition at that corner spot. And I'm hoping, and this is perhaps wishful thinking, but after reading that piece by Dominique Foxworth about Richard Sherman, I really want to see some sort of bloodthirsty competition at a position like cornerback, which is one that I think Pete Carroll and the Seahawks defense tend to get the absolute most out of. I'll say this. We saw for a really long time a Seattle Seahawks team, especially when they were at their peak, when they were, uh, you know, you think of the year prior to the Super Bowl year, certainly 2013 and 14, and a year or two following that, when there were positions that were just locked down. And we have talked for the last couple seasons about how, um, oh, this position feels open for the first time in a while, this position feels open. Well, it once again feels like that's happening. And I think for the first time, I'm looking at the field and thinking, you know, what both corner spots are open it's not just like who can win this spot both corner spots are open any wide receiver spot after Tyler and DK are open you know what I mean there there's a real competition on this team it's going to make for a fascinating training camp but it also makes for these draft picks as really interesting stories no longer are we watching them just come in and thinking these are depth pieces right we're watching them thinking well Trey Brown man if he really shows up in training camp This guy's got a chance to be your day one starter. Am I saying he's going to? No, but I'm saying it's been a while since we've been covering a training camp where you could have two new starters, uh, Bump and Paul, for for the first time. Two new starters at a quarterback position from the year prior. Yeah, two new starters. And say Trey Brown doesn't work out and he's not a starter. It's okay. So I have Witherspoon over there who has been a starter. Uh, On the other side, you have DJ who has started some games and, and, and played a role. So it makes it exciting. You're right, because it's not like, okay, these guys are etched in stone. We know who our stars are going to be. It makes training camp that much more important. It makes preseason games that much more important. It allows us um, to really sit down and, and, and critique and analyze his football team, which makes it fun. It's fun for us. It it's probably drives the coaches crazy because they got to figure out who's going to wear. But for us, we're like, all right, who's, who's, who made plays this week, guys? Let's figure this out. It's all about competition. In that third receiver spot, um, you still got Freddie Swain. You still got Ursula. And now you bring in Eskridge, another battle there. I think it's going to make for a fun offseason. You know what Pete always says, always competing, always competing. This position, oof, that's a lot. And I, I, I actually think they might be excited about it, Bump, that they have all these guys to pick through. I mean, 
you should get the absolute most out of any one of them over the course of what will be a, I imagine, very physical and very competitive training camp. Uh, I have a theory I want to run by the two of you. It is a little wild. I ran it by one friend the other day, and he said, you're absolutely insane. That's not happening. Oh. But, but given two of the Seahawks' three picks, I think it might be. So I'm going to run this theory by the two of you. Uh, we are keeping an eye on John and Pete to see when they are going to speak to reporters to wrap up the Seahawks draft. And we're also keeping an eye for any more local guys that are going to be heading to some other teams here. More draft coverage from 710 ESPN Seattle coming your way next. You are listening to the Seahawks Draft on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nonstop Seahawks Draft coverage from the first pick to the last on 710sports.com. Welcome back to the 710 ESPN Seattle coverage of the 2021 NFL Draft. You've got three new Seattle Seahawks, wide receiver, a cornerback, and an offensive tackle. This is one of the first drafts I can remember, by the way, you guys, where I was like, okay, needs, one, two, three, Seattle has them, and they actually filled those needs. <laughs> In my mind, it's a pretty decent draft. Don't know how you guys feel. What would you grade it so far? Early, early, early. I always hate to give a grade right. Well, too a bad. Grade right now. I'm the boss. <laughs> you <laughs> get right. to drive the next hour. I'm driving this hour. Okay, so I, I won't walk the fence here. You got a fast wide receiver. You got a massive offensive lineman that can play tackle, and you got a cornerback. As far as I'm concerned, those are the three biggest needs that you had. And because you got the three biggest needs, Stacy, I like you feel really good about it. Just for the sake of being a little bit hard and annoying so that I'm like my mom who always told me an A- minus isn't good enough, I am going to say that this was an A-. minus. It's good. <laughs> but again, like you don't know. And, and, and we, we'll see how these guys pan out. I, I, I always try to sit back a little bit because so often we see people get really upset about picks or really excited about picks. And it, I think training camp in the preseason is really when you figure out just how much these guys have left, have in the tank. Man, I think the Hawks did a great job. I Like you said, Stace, concerns. Receiver, mm-hmm. corner, offensive lineman, boom, got it. Offseason, defensive lineman, boom, brought a couple guys in, re-signed Carlos Dunlap. There's no position on this team where I'm looking at and, there's, and I'm saying, okay, they need to get something done. Yeah. Now we can even shift over to special teams. Boom, I got a couple returners right now. You got Eskridge, and don't forget Freddie Swain is a good return as well. You still got Travis Homer back there. DJ at pump return. I'm looking at this team, and I'm, I'm very optimistic. I'm optimistic every year because I always feel like as long as you got number three, you can put up enough points to give yourself a chance. But I like the moves that they're making. Oh, man, I forgot Gabe Jackson. Boom, they bring in Gabe Jackson as well at the guard spot. It's like, what else? They have to be sitting at the at, in their war room like, okay, what else do we have to do, guys? I mean, right. I'm sure they don't <laughs> listen to us in the 12s. But, I mean, if anyone says anything to Schneider and Pete Carroll about – what they didn't do, now you're just nitpicking. Will these will these picks pan out? We have to see. You still got to go play games and train and all that. But as far as addressing needs, excellent job. Bump, speak for yourself. I like to imagine that both Pete and John listen to 710 ESPN <laughs> Seattle regularly, and they're like, what did Stacey say about those picks? Did we get, did, is she okay with them? Is she fine with them? Oh, thank God. Oh, God. Um, Bob Condota of the Seattle Times, by the way, speaking of John and Pete, says that the duo are about to hold their post-draft press conference. 
He says, so then, safe to say they're done with the draft. Obviously, they'll be holding that presser while there's still a couple picks going, so we're all going to be assuming they're not trading back into it. That would be a fun twist, though. They're holding it, and then all of a sudden, reporters are looking around like, wait, you guys made a pick? And then this just, like, devilish smile shows up on John Schneider's face. How great would that be? Okay, enough of that. Anyway, so we'll be (laughs) keeping an eye on that stream, and we will take you guys there live the second that your head coach and your Seahawks general manager are speaking to reporters. Now, about that theory that I had you guys yeah let's hear it okay on now, the edge of my seat. well it's it's it is a little wild it is very out there the Just wilder know, the better I, I want you to know it's saturday listen i want you to know that i would not bet on my own theory happening okay this is my theory <laughs> i think that the seattle seahawks have been innovators on defense in the past for as much flack as pete carroll has gotten and i think it's in part just a tiny bit of ageism because he's older as much flack as he's gotten about being kind of like in the 80s with a lot of what he wants to do on offense he did revolutionize the way that people evaluate defensive back particularly cornerback talent in the league and the way that he ran his defense in 2012, 13, 14, influenced a lot of what other teams did around the league. A lot of his defensive coaches went out and got jobs as head coaches, as defensive coordinators. He's got a big coaching tree on that side of the ball. He's a guy that knows defense. Now, they've been playing with a lot of the same kind of ideas. I've been circling this in my mind, and I'm like, what if we're going to be surprised? What if They are recognizing that in addition to making these changes at corner, in addition to kind of changing the ways, the things that they value in their corners, going with fast, smaller guys, because the NFL is speeding up, NFL offenses are getting faster. What if they make changes up front? What if we see the Seahawks, this will never happen, become a 3-4 base defense? Changing Don't overnight. shoot it down right away. Just mm. give me 30 seconds of thinking that I'm onto something, okay. and then you can shoot it down. I won't shoot down anything. As far as that goes, I, I think you've got to do whatever you feel like is best given the roster that you have. I feel like, though, we're, we're, we're at a phase in football where does it really matter what the base no, defense is doesn't. anymore? I think what they're really going to do is just I'd love to see them do basic things like more nickel. <laughs> like, yeah. I think it's a, what I'd actually like to see is just please – Use get your fastest guys on the field. Be fast on defense. You know, you, you mentioned that nickel position, Stacy, and we'll we'll see if they shake the defense up a little bit more. I, I'm really curious as to what they're going to do at nickel corner. I mean, now it's not just that these guys that you have that are smaller corners are options for you on the outside. You also have them as options at nickel. Ugo Amadi, who stepped in, I think he did an admirable job stepping yeah. in for Marquise Blair. DJ Reed is of the size where you could move him there if you wanted to, though I think you would want to have him as one of your starting corners. Trey Brown seems like somebody that could play in that nickelback spot. And we're forgetting about Marquise Blair, of course, who tore his yes. ACL last year. Yep. And a guy that... It, Was a second-round pick? Yes, second-round pick. A guy that we have seen his, his, his rookie season lay people out. And a guy that forced a fumble in his first game this past season against the Falcons. And for those who did go to the scrimmages that the Seahawks had which of course weren't televised he looked awesome in one in particular I mean he he was Alex Gordon's nightmare in that game I mean he, he intercepted him twice he was flying all over the field so I'm very curious as to who ends up winning that spot I think it's up for grabs but I think only good can come out of the fact that you have I think at the very least two legitimate options in Blair and in Amadi now with some more mix some more guys in the mix thank you for bringing up Blair 
I mean, this dude, before he got hurt, I know it was, what, a game and a half or something like that. But from what I saw out of the guy, he was ready to go. Now he's shown that he could he can get some reps at the nickel spot. He can probably back up one of the safeties as well. You bring in Trey Brown, who can play nickel. Excuse me, yeah, play nickel. He can play outside. Now, as a DB, I think this is what the Hawks like the most out of a secondary, a guy in the secondary. Can you be moved around? Can you play nickel? Can you go on the outside? The more you can do on the football team, the more chances you have um, to making the, the ball club and being on the field. Now you throw Ugo Mahdi in the mix as well. That's a name that we forgot about in the return game. When he was at Oregon, he took a few punt returns to the house. So we're mentioning all these names in a bunch of different spots, and it goes back to what you said earlier, Paul. Competition. Compete, compete, compete. That, that's what Pete Carroll lives on. That's what he built his organization on. And that's, that's what we're going to see. Thank you for bringing up Blair, though, because I think this is a guy who is going to hit the field running this year and make an impact. All right. Again, we are keeping an eye out for John Schneider and Pete Carroll to hit the podium. uh, Well, the desk for their post-draft press conference. They'll be answering all the reporters' questions about the Seahawks. You do not want to go anywhere. That live press conference is coming your way soon. You are listening to the Seahawks Draft on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nonstop Seahawks Draft coverage from the first pick to the last on 710sports.com. You done, Paul? I'm singing along to the NFL primetime. You are jams. lucky that you're from home because Paul has been singing along to all of the NFL intros. It's actually beautiful, Paul. I'm just giving you a hard time. Thank you. Now I'm jealous. I want to hear that, man. <gasps> Is this story? Is this a not for draft coverage story of your date? Oh, we'll tell Bump that later. This wasn't a date as much as it was a rejection, getting shot down. Bump, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. In a nutshell, someone was so annoyed by my voice that they found me unattractive, (laughs) even though they found me physically attractive. (laughs) The voice, which I imagine a lot of listeners can't get over the broadcast voice. Yeah, thought it was uh, a little bit too much. And I also think she couldn't get over the mean texts that I post every now and then online. Well, you know, she's not the one. She's not for you, Paul. Clearly. Not for you, Paul. Not she's for you. not. She's not, who not I your great white buffalo. That's exactly right. She right. is. You know, she is. She'll go on and find someone in and with a not broadcast voice, um, and and you'll go on and find someone who loves yours. That's how I see it. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Every single NFL team is looking for their great white buffalo, and that's what we call the NFL draft, Stacey Ross. Am I right? Paul, this is the problem, Paul. This is the problem. <laughs> I know. We're keeping an eye out for uh, the press conference coming, so expected shortly from John Schneider and Pete Carroll. If you guys could ask them any question about this class, what would you ask them? Hmm. Well, I think the first question that you would ask is, where do you see – all of these players fitting in on day one? And do you have any expectations of them to be out there day one? And I would assume, at the very least with Dwayne Eskridge, that you're penciling him in at wide receiver three right next to Freddie Swain's name. But if I draft a guy that's got four three eight speed in the second round, I am assuming that he is going to get a lot of snaps this season. Mm. So I, I, that would probably be my first question is, what do you see for 2021, the roles for each of these players? And I would specifically want to know what they say about Dwayne Eskridge specifically, but also Trey Brown, too. And who is your starting nickel corner, I guess, at this point in time? So a variety of different questions, not any one in particular that jumps out over the others. First question I would ask is, are you happy? How do you, how do you feel? Did you get 
what you wanted out of this draft. Um, and then after that, I would ask them, how impactful do you think these rookies are going to be? Are you going to rely on these guys? Are, are they going to play significant roles in your offense and defense? Then the third question would be, what is, how does Shane feel about this draft? You got, you got offensive linemen. You got a, a, hopefully a slot receiver, a number three receiver. How much influence does Shane have in this draft? This is like, this is their first big event. You know, this is the first time me and the wifey showed up to the to the Seattle company party for Christmas. You know what I mean? Like this is this is your your first appearance. Like <laughs> how much does Shane, how involved right. is he in this? How does he feel about this? Because he's the new guy on the block. I would like to think that Shane's happy. He brought in his old tight end. You got an offensive lineman, two offensive linemen, one in the draft. You got a receiver. Your your quarterback seems to be happy. You re-sign Chris Carson in the backfield. I would assume that he's happy, but I would like to know how he feels after this. I think I'd be most curious to know if there were any common denominators. It's hard to find a common denominator between what you loved in Stone Forsyth, who is six foot nine and like mm. 300 and something pounds, uh, and five foot nine uh, Dwayne Eskridge. But ten Trey Brown, right? Right. Be an but if you're looking, perhaps at just some of your guys. So let's say you're looking at your new cornerback, your new wide receiver. I'd love to know if there was any common denominator with some of the things that you're valuing with the guys you're adding. Um, in part because it offers some insight into why they loved these guys so much. Was it speed? Was it personality? Was it character? What was it? And it also allows you to look at some things that they're going to be valuing months down the road when they enter unrestricted rookie free agency, when they're looking for tryout players, when they're looking for guys that they're going to add via trade, uh, via uh, veterans signed in free agency. What are some of those qualities that you're looking to add to your team this year? Do you want to get faster? Are you trying to get younger? Are you trying to be more explosive? Are you looking for versatility? All of these things are important, but sometimes I like knowing what it is that that team might have uh, as a goal. And we have John and Pete right now speaking with reporters recapping the draft. Here they are. We're doing this. Uh, we're not picking anymore. So uh, we want to be ready to get back up there and uh, uh, start being able to recruit as soon as the draft was over. So uh, appreciate you, you, um, you know, adjusting your schedules for us. But uh, – it was an amazing day. We traded all over the place. It took two players. Uh, really excited about both players, obviously. Uh, you know, it's not, it, it, we're not going to come out there, you know, like uh, uh, after surgery, you don't, you don't hear many doctors say, right? We talked about this before. Oh, yeah, you know, surgery was just okay. We feel really excited about what we did and uh, uh, really excited about Trey, excited about his competitiveness. Uh, he's just got, the guy's just got a fire to him that's just off the chain. Um, off the that's chain. what all the cool kids say, I guess, off yeah, the chain. Off yeah, the chain. sorry. Um, about my son would ago. say that, right? So, but uh, Four or five years ago, John. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, I know. Uh, I apologize. And then uh, Stone, too, uh, we waited. It seemed like forever we waited for Stone. We tried trading up forever to get him. Uh, you know, monster of a man, all business. Pretty quiet, uh, not like a real vocal guy, but just a real uh, professional that is uh, a two-year starter at Florida. Big man, uh, super long arms. Um, you know, hard hard for people to run the hump on him. And and um, and the guy runs the track especially well with our new offense. You can see him as a big person out there running and getting outside. So, uh, 
Yeah, just really excited, uh, proud of everybody upstairs and what they did, coaches, uh, personnel guys. Uh, it was a very productive draft, and now we're getting ready to uh, start the second phase of it. Speaking of focus, I'm really, I'm really impressed with, with uh, Tim's focus, aren't you, John? Tim? Which Tim? Tim Booth, are you Tim okay? Man, you I, thought, I thought we were doing the cutout thing this weekend, so I thought I would just add to it. That's, that's no cutout. That's that real, is isn't funny. It? That's creepy. And, it, yeah, look at Mr. Bell. He's outside at the golf course, like, just. I, I thought about doing it last night, but I didn't want to give you guys nightmares. Blink if you need help, Tim. Briggs out there playing with Trump. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. How, it's, how I can't, I can't believe you're wearing a shirt that says, you a, sh- a shirt that says Navy on. What's going on here? Army, Navy, we're proud of our military. Opposite is true, but okay. There you go. You lost the bet. <laughs> there you go. Art, wait to be called on, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Art's fighting for airtime over there. I thought we were going by height. <laughs> Corbin, get us started. That's the lowest ceiling I've ever seen in a house. <laughs> Hey guys, there's so much talk this time of year about arm length and all the athletic testing and things like that, but how much does that stuff get thrown out the window to an extent when you're looking at a player like Trey Brown that week in, week out is playing against elite future NFL talent in the Big 12 and playing the college football playoff? I think you said it perfectly. You know, the landscape is what it is, and so, you know, I'm sure Trey Brown would love to be, you know, six foot two and be, you know, if he was six foot two, he'd be picked in the top 10, right? So uh, you can see him every weekend running all over the place in the Big 12 with all these receivers and all the speed that's out there and, and competing his tail off. Uh, you know, um, yes, we, we'd love to have, uh, you know, big corners and all that. And, and we did right when we got here. Uh, but you got to adjust to the times, too. And, and and there's only a certain amount of players that you can pick from. And and uh, more about the person, like we talked about last night. This guy's a true competitor. Uh, he's he's on the upswing. Um, he's overcome a lot. Uh, Tulsa guy that's just, he's 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 got a, a confidence about him that's uh, and a competitiveness that's, that's, uh, that we love and we, we, we treasure. Jen? Two things on this. When you're looking at Stone, you said that you had tried to to get him a couple of different times. What was your level of surprise that he was available today? And second, when he talked to us just a little bit ago, he said admittedly he's not as good in the run game as he is in the pass game. Is it a true run game, though, that he needs to prepare for, given what you anticipate the offense being under Shane? Well, well yeah. The, um, you got that one? Yeah, that was a good I, Thank I, I you. That was a good a challenging, that was a challenging one. Challenging one. Uh, uh, volley, um, Come on, guys. You, I've already lost four bets because you only drafted three players. So I'm just going to throw it back to you on that one. So really, you're upset, is what you're saying? You come well, on the you rebound know. here. Yes. Okay. Yes, and I'm taking it out on you, Pete. The really cool thing is we don't have any idea what the question is now, so it doesn't matter. But mm. uh, we're talking about uh, our offensive lineman here. Stone. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Stone was a guy that really, because of 
his uniqueness. He's really a unique player. I mean, how many times have I said that to you guys about, you know, we're always looking for traits, and and uh, he really brings a, a great level of potential in, in his what he brings. He's played a lot of football. He's had over a 1,000 pass rushes against him in the SEC. Uh, his numbers are really good. His, his stats are really good from in pass protection. Um, he can come off the football, and he runs pretty well. He runs he runs well for a big guy. Um, so he moves he moves all right. We just got to get him where he's coming off the football the way we want to. That means he's got front side blocks where he's got to reach really you know, flashy athletes, and he's also got to cut off big de- defensive tackles when the ball's going away. So he's shown the ability to do that, so we're not worried about his foot quickness in that regard. So we got to get him to play good and low. That's always the, the question with guys. He's 6'8", you know, and so um, the guys are going to try to get up underneath him. But he's seen that from the best. You know, we've got to watch him against the best that the SEC had to offer in the last couple of years and, and felt really good about uh, the potential for him to be a really good player for a long period of time. So we're excited about that. Yeah, Hutch went down to work him out. Hutch and uh, Steve Hutchinson and, and Alonzo Highsmith were at the workout, and uh, Hutch spent a ton of time with him. And, and you know, he, he's not a real outspoken individual. He's just a real quiet, like, confident, calm guy. He's not, like, you know, he doesn't come off with, like, a, you know, he's just a, he's kind of a professional. He just kind of shows up every day, and he's he's there trying to get better and so coaches count on they believe yeah him. so great great rapport all that good yeah stuff. so it's pretty cool to have uh hutch spend as much time with him as he as he did and and obviously aaron highline it, it was like you know those guys those guys really had him nailed as a person so uh uh yeah he's not gonna be cruising around with his shirt rolled up and stuff like that i guess you know so like like, a, like i a, do which was a good yeah. no it was a, yeah. a, a common theme a little jab at a buddy of mine, but Michael Sean, save us. <laughs> um, Pete, where do you plan on playing Trey? He's a corner. He's going to play outside and start start there, and we, you know we're going to see see what uh, uh, what he brings to the competition. Um, he's played outside, you know, throughout his years. Um, hasn't played inside as a, as a featured nickel guy, um, but we know that he would have the ability to do that. Um, I thought that the the one on ones in 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 the Senior Bowl were really indicative of his ability to stick to people. He he went against really good receivers, really good one on one opportunities, and he, he can whether he's playing inside or outside, he's going to do fine. But we're, we're thinking of him as a corner to play outside. We didn't we didn't draft him as a nickel, if that's what you're asking. We did not. So is that is that just unique to him, or could you move guys like Marquise and keep DJ outside too, even though their arms aren't where the usual benchmark is? No, no, we can. You've already you've already seen us. You know, we've played with the tallest, longest guys you could play, and, and you know, we've played with with guys at the other end of the spectrum. And DJ uh, showed really well. You know, DJ's not the tallest guy in the world, but he's a heck of a football player, and he showed that he could find his way to get through it. Trey plays with a great aggressiveness and, and attack, and, and he's on. You know, he's all, always after the football, very much like D, uh, DJ plays. And so, uh, we'll see how that works. Remember that we also in free agency we we signed a guy at six three. You know, and, and Trey's over there six six three as well. So um, we haven't given up on any of our thoughts in the past. We're trying to find the guys that bring something special that that can play the game, and they don't have to be all the same. And and. Uh, that's that's just the way it is. So uh, we're excited about the, this guy. You know, he's a he's a special teamer as well, uh, and and he's he gets after it in the running game. He's a good tackler, so um, he's a well-rounded player. Thanks. Sure. Bob. Um, yeah. How do you guys feel about the offensive line right now? And sort of obviously with with adding Gabe to it, who I guess we all assume is going to slide in a left guard, but 
you know, otherwise you brought back a lot of guys from, from last year and everything looks like a lot of continuity there. Just sort of how do you feel about how that all came together? Yeah, I, we are we are pleased with where we are, in particular with the depth and the competition, too. You know, uh, it's not just the guys that start. Gabe's going to play on the right side, and, and uh, D. Lou will be on the left side, and uh, bringing um, – Ethan back, you know, for a second year as a potential starter, the confidence that he'll he'll gain from that uh, will really help him. And, and you know, like I've been saying, Kyle's going to be competing with him all all along as well. Um, I, I think uh, uh, Simmons did a nice job for us last year. Jordan did some good things when he played. That gives us good depth there. Philip Haynes looks to be through his, you know, through his injury issues and and uh, will come into camp ready to roll and compete too. Um, so. Uh, it's a it's and, and Cedric Ogbui, that that's this is a guy that really has the potential to be a big time football player. Uh, he's going to get a great chance to, to go with Brandon out there at the right tackle spot and compete, you know, until the finish and see who wins the job, knowing that he can also play on the other side if we need him to also as he did last year. So we feel really good about the depth of it and, and kind of the, the experience. Uh, well, as always, you'd like these guys to, you know, get a good feel for one another, play together and communicate really well. And that really comes to the center spot and, and we'll get great leadership from, from Dwayne. So uh, I think it's an excellent, excellent position for us. I think uh... – Greg lost his ball. Look, he's in the car now looking for it. You see that? Greg Bell? He's driving around. He's on the golf course. Now he's in a car. Yeah, his golf cart. He must have really shanked that sucker. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. It's on another course. <laughs> see, isn't it more fun when you just have three picks? I said that. I just told my I'm out of okay. my stuff. Thanks, Greg. Matt? Appreciate it, Greg. <laughs> Greg's in a hazard. <laughs> Hey, Matt, how about we interview you? That's a stepbrothers. Uh, Hold that course. look for a second, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> AP, you mentioned how you uh, hit Pater with your first-round pick by getting Jamal Adams. I know, John, you said yesterday that you're going to spend a lot of today thinking about Gabe Jackson and Carlos Dunlop. Just three picks, none particularly high. Uh, how much different did this draft feel um, compared to other, other drafts you've had? It really did. It was, it was, it was, you know, unique is the word we keep using, right? And uh, it, it was just very interesting to watch everybody work their way through this draft and to talk to other teams and how they viewed how they viewed things and how, you know, they felt about their team. I think, you know, as we spoke on, uh, I'm not sure, our, our pre-draft press conference a couple of days ago. Uh, same thing, you know, we're going to be approaching this now like, okay, who's going to be letting people go? After the draft, what does that look like? The different phases of free agency. And uh, so it, it was it was definitely an odd odd year. Uh, there's still a bunch of free agents, not free agents, but for us free agents, rookie free agents that we're really interested in. Thanks. John? Was that, was that good enough? Matt, because we just wanted to know, because you were judging our press conference yeah, the other day, was, how convincing Pete was and everything. I just wanted to make sure that was okay for you. Because next time we're going to interview you. I'm looking forward to that. That's, from, step, that's from Step Brothers. Go for it, right? That was a 6 out of 10. I'll give that one. Okay. Yeah. You'll be well, wishy washy. We'll like give you your grade in a couple of weeks, dude. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Are we done now? Challenge. Okay. Okay. Jeez. <laughs> Pete, when Trey was talking to us, he said on special teams he's looking to destroy people, I think was a phrase he used. Just what did you see out of him on special teams, and 
it just kind of what kind of impact player could he be there right away? He's a one-speed guy. He goes all out, and he's and he really does throw his body around, and it shows up on special teams when he gets his ops. Um, it, it, I mean, he came across. I, I, we heard the uh, you know his interview as well, and uh, he came across with the confidence and the cockiness that, that is necessary quite often in the makeup of the guys that play out there and, and he's not gonna he's not gonna be wild by any of it I and I'm I'm sure there'll be uh, guys you know ready for the challenge in camp when we get rolling and and one of them wears number 14 he don't care who it is he's gonna go against them and, and, and make it a battle uh, DK will, will look forward to it and, and that, that's that's what we need to, to, to play to find your best you know you need the competitiveness and that's why the kid really fits so um, we're, we're, we think we really we can really be in a very fortunate situation with him in the competition right now. Joe Fan, John, you mentioned um, you used like the word forever of when you were how you were trying to get up and get stone. I'm curious at what point did he fall where like we got to go try to get this guy? Like at what point do you start making those calls? And then do you have maybe any reason why he may have fallen the way he did? I mean, a lot of analysts had him in the second round, third round, fourth round. You guys got him in the sixth. Yeah, just from an ammunition standpoint, uh, being able to work your way up, it was really, uh, I think it was 190 in the 190s, early 190s, 190 where we felt like we had enough to go try. And then from there, we just started the whole the whole time. Um, you know, there was a situation where, you know, we – we could have gone back, and then you know, with with um, you know, we even further after we worked with uh, Tampa to see if we could get Trey a little bit later, which we just you know we just decided that was not not the thing to do. We needed, we needed to just pick Trey, um, but with the thought of acquiring another pick to try to get up to go get Stone, and so I want to say it was in the 190s that we tried, and then. I mean, it, it literally seemed like two hours. Yeah, it seemed like forever. It, it, it seemed like forever. And, <clears throat> you know, it's, that's what's fun and entertaining about the, the draft, right? Like everybody sees, everybody sees things differently. And, and uh, I would think that, you know, if you wanted to nitpick, you know, you, you got offensive line coaches that are, you know, gritty and tough, and they want, you know, the guy that's got a big old chew in and stuff like that maybe. I don't know. I'm guessing, but uh, you know, he's he's not like this. He's just a real buttoned-up individual. He's not a guy that's like a um, um, not not tough, but just from a personality standpoint, uh, he's just he's just kind of quiet. And Hutch talked about this, you know, a lot. You're playing next to to Walter, Walter was never a guy that I'm not comparing him to Walter Jones. So don't do that, Joe. Okay, but uh, but. Uh, you know, you guys have been around Walter. He's just a real easy, laid-back, quiet guy. And I remember when he was coming out of Florida State, you know, he was only there for a minute. You know, he was a he was a one-and-done guy. And people were very concerned about the personality because he was just such a nice, easy-going dude that was really quiet. And he, he, did, a, he did a pretty good doggone good job, right? So, and maybe that that's that's the only reason I could think of. Stone told us that maybe the knock of his run blocking not being as good as his pass blocking was fair, but they, he said they didn't run the football out of Florida. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to tell. That's hard to tell. You know, uh, the first game I ever saw him play was against Georgia. That defense pretty pretty good, right? And so here, here he's out there blocking, you know, all these guys that are, you know, 
big-time draft picks, some older guys, younger guys, and he didn't flinch. So it's pretty. Georgia was probably his most impressive game. Thanks, John. Tim? John, you mentioned Hutch a couple of times. What did he add to the evaluation process on, on Stone specifically? And then um, also your, your depth at linebacker. How do you both feel about that coming out of, out of the draft? And is that something you need to address going forward? I got Hutch. You get the line. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we're, we're really blessed to have Steve working with us. Uh, he, he focuses on the offensive line. He gives us a really fresh... Uh, opinion on guys. We try to get them out as much as we possibly can to spend time with the guys, taking them you know, out for a cup of coffee or dinner or whatever and talking to offensive line coaches and then being able to really put his hands on them in the spring. And he's a very, very clear-thinking individual. He knows what he likes. Uh, he knows what it takes. Uh, you know, I was blessed to be around him when we drafted him in, in uh, 2000 and, and uh you know, he the guy. He, it's just he's he's just a blast to be around. He knows exactly he knows exactly how to communicate his thoughts. And uh, Pete and I were talking about it earlier today. Like he can go through everybody. I don't know who's more nervous there for a while, like Pete or Hutch. And I'm like, man, you guys need to you guys need to stop like walk nervous? cruising around in front of the table. I'm like, it nerves? They're making me dinner, yeah, or they're making me dizzy. So you guys weren't making me dinner, were you? No, making me dizzy. So. Yeah, and then the linebackers. Yeah, well, we have a group of linebackers that we can really count on, and, and we like our guys and how they play, and really the, the fact that we have flexibility there too. Um, but it is a competitive opportunity for young guys to come in, you know, trying to trying to get on this team and be part of it and be part of the special teams and all of that. Um, and so, guys that are getting some opportunities right now, when, as soon as we get off the call here, um, we'll be looking for you know a chance. We we don't have a lot of depth, but we have really quality guys playing at the spot. Art? Uh, Trey Brown obviously makes it for a very competitive uh, group at cornerback, but would you guys be interested in entertaining a veteran cornerback like, say, oh, Richard Sherman? Um, you know, we, we're always open. We're all, you know, we, we've never He's not been that way. We've, we've, right. I, I didn't hear that. He's what? He said you guys have talked. No, I've talked to Sherman uh, uh, quite a few times here over the off season, so we have, we have stayed in, in contact. Um, and uh, you know, he's he's out there. I know he's thinking about it. He, he's he's looking for an opportunity. And uh, I I saw where he said there's three or four teams that you know that he's considering or whatever. So we'll see what happens. And and uh, but uh, he's been a great player, and uh, he's still got some ball left in him, I'm sure. Um, but at this point, you know, we're we're going to clear through this day, figure out what happens with the rooks coming up, and we'll see where it sits uh, later on. And I think Pete, Pete said this publicly, and, and we both feel this way. We'll be supporting Sherm in some form or fashion. He's always going to be a Seahawk. Brady? Uh, I, this question is for Pete. Um, seeing DJ Reed play on the outside and succeed on the outside late last season, did, did that make it any easier for you to project Brown playing out there as a similarly small guy? Um, not necessarily because it's like, you know, coached a lot of guys over the years, you know, all different kinds of sizes and shapes and all of that. And uh, But 
uh, almost it could go the other way. You know, you don't want, do you want two guys that are you know both five nine out there playing? That you could think of it that way because we we went through those conversations. Uh, we just each guy's on his own side, doing his own thing, playing his style, and, and we're going to try to draw out the best that, that they have. You know, and, and uh, we've had guys that have been all pro guys that were that were six two, and we've had guys in my years in the past that were under six feet tall, and and uh, and it just depends on the kid, you know, and the, the style of player. We don't. We don't close the the book on on guys. You know, we're looking for the ways that they offer uh, their their style of play and trying to figure out if it fits. If it works, it works. But I would say that the fact that um, DJ did such a nice job, uh, it gave us a, a little bit more of a um, of a kind of a mold of guys. You know, guys that would if the guy is a smaller guy, what is his style of play like, and uh, and what does it take to be a smaller guy that can be successful? And you know, one of the the criteria that we really we talked about this extensively in the offseason was that they got to have this mentality about them. You know, that they go for it and they're aggressive and they 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 make plays. Uh, almost because they're, they they can because of the, the the way they are athletically and to open and make sure we have an open appreciation for that kind of play and I think DJ you know just like Russell helped some other quarterbacks you know DJ will will help uh, some other cornerbacks you know here and I don't think that that's a wrong statement but um, we're still gonna look at these guys individually and see what they got and you know, I can't wait this is, we, we've got some real comp now coming up it's going to be really important to us moving forward. Does the style of play change there when it is a smaller guy? I mean, do you press less often? Or? Not necessarily. It depends on the matchups and also depends on the player. Some guys are better playing off or some guys are better working off the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, uh, and, and some guys are better just planting down there and laying, laying right at the line of scrimmage and starting from there. It, it depends. And you, I, I've been coaching guys for so long at this spot. You, you have to be open to their style, and we, try, we have to kind of – find that out with the new guys that come in we had to do that with with dj you know how much would he be on the line of scrimmage how much would we mix and all of that that's it's really it's an individual assessment that we make forever we've been doing that you know and some guys you just want there forever and they don't want them off line of scrimmage so just depends thanks sure curtis yeah, Pete, kind of kind of big picture right now. How do you feel like the roster sits for you at this point in time with the moves you have made and the, the draftees you've added? How, how much do you think you'll still be working through, like, the veteran free agency that's still out there after the draft and all of those sorts of things? At this okay, point? The, really, I, I thought this offseason was really successful at – Situating the roster where we felt good going into the draft. Part of the draft, and John was, you know, helping me get, be prepared mentally for this all along. Without the, the normal volume of picks, that we needed to make our moves and make our decisions early to make sure that the roster was situated well. We made it. We made it through that off season. It came to the point where we felt like we had guys at every spot. We didn't have any holes going in. We didn't have any glaring needs. We had concerns and issues for depth and in, in, in competition and all that. So. Um, you know, we really we have firepower. We've got big plays. We got pass rush now. We've got uh, the leadership. Um, we we just ha- and we have depth and we have competitive depth, which always helps you bring out the best in guys. So we're sit- situated very well right now. If um, the new guys and a couple of these free agents that have a shot can come in here and make a, a spark and, and add something to us, uh, give us a little flash or something here on special teams or whatever they can bring, we're going to be a very very competitive team. I have no hesitation in saying that. So. Uh, 
Um, I'm excited about that. The, other, the, the last part of this is that we're never going to pass up an opportunity to, to, to be involved and competitively involved in everything. John does an incredible job. There's nobody that's done it better than John over all of these years to continue to take advantage of every opportunity that comes along. There'll be one after the, you know, kind of whatever the fallout occurs, you know, as, as guys put their rosters together, that we will be, we'll be sitting right there on the fence ready to jump and, and uh, hopefully we'll, you know, we'll see a couple things that might help us out. But we'll be ready for it. We won't miss that opportunity for sure. Bob? Yeah, I just wanted to ask about a couple of other guys. Quick. Mark Keeler, obviously, he's played both safety and corner. When he gets back healthy, where, where do you see him fitting? And then Daryl Taylor, I guess, with the linebacker depth, is there any chance he could play strong side linebacker at all? Or? And Daryl Taylor, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, Marquise is doing great. He's he's ready to get back to working, so he's, he should be in great shape, ready to compete. Um, I think you asked about his versatility. Uh, you know, if you watch this, you know, he, he can play both safety spots, and he and he does play on the in, on the slot and nickel. We started the season with him when we were really with great anticipation what we could do with him there in terms of the pressure that he could bring off the edge, the tackles that he could make, as well as the the disruptive type of coverage style. He has a unique coverage style that he plays on the slot there when he does. So you know he's. He's we're wide open with whatever he brings. You know we're really looking forward to it, and I, even more so once we acquired Jamal and we saw what Marquise could do, and we have those guys on both sides of the nickel package. You know it's a it's a it was really it, with great excitement we went in the season. Unfortunately, uh, Keith got hurt, um, and then Daryl Taylor. Uh, oh, Ugo, yeah, Ugo plays the same spot. He has a totally different way of playing the game, and he has his own flair and, and playmaking ability and take a shot kind of like uh, as DJ does um, in, in that guy that kind of mold that we're that we're creating here um, so that's that gives us really good flexibility because you, you see Hugo play on the back end at safety uh, both spots as well um, Daryl Taylor does does give us some flexibility we saw him in college play on the edge quite a bit where he did some drop and he was in coverage uh, we we have that as part of um, you know what we're counting on uh, as, as he comes to us and we get him out there on the field and, and really you know kind of fit him in and but we do have to still uncover some of that because we have not had the real chance to, to really get uh, you know the, the work that we need to, to make those assessments but very versatile football player and we're wide open to whatever he can do a couple more Brady hey Pete could you please uh, elaborate on you made a comment about how um Forsyth's athleticism fits into Waldron's offense. Could you tell us how? I don't know if I exactly said you that. Talked about I think getting yeah, him out. Yeah, well, no, he you. We've seen him move. He runs well he, he, for a big man. He runs well, and so he, he can block on the perimeter. We've seen him get out and you know stay on his feet. He he does not not on the ground much at all for a big guy. Um, he's got good coordination and all that. And, he, and like I said, he does run well. Um, you wouldn't think a guy that that tall would be as fast as he is. Um, but I, I don't think that there's going to be any, really, any restriction. What, what the benefit that uh, that Stone has is he gets to learn uh, from one of the best players in the league, in Dwayne Brown, and he's going to be able to study with him and work with him. Uh, Dwayne will take him under his wing, I know, and teach him every all the ins and outs of this position, as well as demonstrate what it is to be an effective perimeter run blocker and all. I mean, Dwayne's been famous for that stuff for us, um, so. Uh, this will be a really competitive opportunity for Stone, but the the big part of the competition is he has this great uh, example right there in front of him to show him how to play the game. So um, this should work out really well. Last question, Greg Bell. Yeah, guys, uh, 
Richard Sherman didn't leave the happiest camper a few years ago. When did that relationship get back to where you would like it to be, where you now talk frequently and him to his return could be a possibility? When did that swing? I, to me, it was never not like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it was blown out of proportion. Yeah, I think that's something that, that, that gets read into more so. Uh, Sherman and I have always, always shared thoughts about stuff, and if we go through the different cycles of things that have happened in the league and what's going on around the country at times, and we, we, we have stayed in touch for a long time. And I, I don't think that should surprise you because just think about all of the guys that have that have left here uh, that had, had, you know done so much uh, for this program in our area and all of that, and whether they're still playing or they're not playing, um, we've maintained you know, really, I think, really significant relationships, and, and Sherman's one of them. I've always thought of Sherman as, you know, he, he could be the leader of this NFLPA thing someday and run the whole thing. I mean, he, he's got so much potential to do so much. I don't want to limit him that way. I mean, he, there's, there's nothing that Rich, Richard can't do. Um, and fortunately, we've had a, a really good relationship, and it, it's been fun to follow him. And you know, I mean, I give him crap whenever I can about the games we're playing or whatever's happened, and, and all that. And he, he'll he'll turn around and do the same with me. And uh, so, I, I don't know what that means, you know, other than um, I'm really proud of the relationship that we've had, particularly all of the things that we've done together. And and, uh, and has he's done well when he's left too. So, we'll see what happens. How realistic is it? He comes. The fans are going to take your comments. Oh, well, I don't know. You, I'm just. I'm just going along with the conversation right now. That that's not one of our, our thoughts right now. That we're we're going out and go get uh, uh, another guy at the spot. But we're going to keep looking. And we're not going to stop looking. And that's just we're going to compete. So in that sense, I'm, I leave everything open. And that's just one of them. So now go ahead and do whatever you want with it. But that's that's where it is. It wasn't. It wasn't as bad as everybody thought it was when he left. I was. Literally talking to him probably 10 minutes before he went in and agreed with the San Francisco 49ers and yeah. talking in a very positive manner. And sure. I don't even I mean it was there was it's, it's been good. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. OK, guys. Oh, a fascinating end to that post-draft yeah. press conference with Pete Carroll and John Schneider. So we're going to recap uh, the draft, put a bow on all of this, including their comments and the Seahawks 2021 draft class coming your way next. You are listening to the Seahawks draft on 710 ESPN Seattle, streaming nonstop Seahawks draft coverage from the first pick to the last on 710sports.com. Ooh, going to be real honest, Matt. That was a close one. I almost did not get that cheese it down in time, but I made it. I am back. Here we are. Paul Gallant. I'm Stacey Ross here with Michael Bumpus. We are recapping the Seahawks draft officially completed. We're also recapping our first takeaways from John and Pete's press conference wrapping up their draft. Bump, what stood out to you? What stood out to me? They like Stone, super long, runs well, has had over a thousand rushes against him. So the guy is experienced. They talk about Trey. They plan to use him on the outside. They did not draft him as a nickel guy, as a slot guy. Um, He's well-rounded. And John Schneider and Pete Carroll, that's relationship goals right there. You see that banter going back and forth. They, these dudes love each other. They love the process. It felt like they had fun. It felt like they hit every objective that they wanted to hit and that they're really satisfied with this draft. Every takeaway that I had had to do with cornerbacks in this press conference, guys. First off, hearing John Schneider say this about Trey Brown, if he was 6'2", he would have been picked in the top 10. I mean, to me, that that sounds like they look at him as a real candidate to be a starting corner. And they also went a little bit further, 
saying he's going to compete at outside cornerback. Mm-hmm. We did not draft him to be a nickel. That excites me. I, I, I wonder what it is about him that led him to slide. If it is just about height, then that is interesting. But that gets me really excited. And the last thing, too. I mean, how can you not hear what Pete Carroll and John Schneider had to say about the end of the Seahawks' relationship with Richard Sherman? Okay, that's what I was waiting for you guys to and get to. And not get excited. Mm, yeah. I was like, look, okay, draft, 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 cool, we're done. We're done. I mean, we're not done talking about it. I'm going to want to talk about this forever. I want to talk about all these new picks, about where the team is going, but... Hold up. Let's talk about their comments about Richard Sherman. John Schneider coming out and volunteering himself saying, look, that relationship was not it did not end the way that people portrayed it to be. People saw it as this souring of a relationship that ended horribly. And he said, I was talking to Richard Sherman like 10 minutes before he agreed to that deal with San Francisco. I think that Richard Sherman appearing on a podcast saying Seattle had lost their way. Now that did happen. Um, It it may have been Richard Sherman feeling that I have a, I'm speaking now as Richard Sherman, could be him saying, look, I have a relationship where I know these guys, John and Pete, I know what they want from their team. I know what their philosophy is. And I'm being open and honest about what I think think they're doing however Pete Carroll making it clear that like they've maintained a pretty healthy relationship over the last several years I have a question for the two of you because now they have a lot of cornerbacks in the building is Richard Sherman a possibility to be added to the building or are there so many bodies right now that we're probably set now that Trey Brown drafted today is also in the mix they seem like it was something where whenever they're asked questions about these like veterans that may be out there high profile guys that may be out there Bump, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like they always have this take where they're like, we're always on top of everything. But they said, we're not looking to add a guy right now. So to me, that was no, but maybe. <laughs> yeah, that, that was them saying not necessarily, but we're going to do our due diligence and, and explore every option because that's exactly what they do. And honestly, I don't think there are too many bodies in this room. Going into camp, you're allowed 90 bodies. Go ahead and throw another body in there and see what happens. Um, I think Richard Sherman, if the relationship is as kosher as they kind of made it sound, and if Richard Sherman can understand that this is Russell Wilson's team, I think it can be a good fit because Sherman is still a good corner. Is he top five in the league? Nah, not anymore. But it's deeper than football at this point. If Sherman can come in and kind of just play the backseat, and and let Russell lead the charge, then it could work. I just don't see Sherm doing that. Sherm's going to be vocal. He's going to have his opinions. He's going to challenge guys. And honestly, I don't know how Russell is with confrontation. I've never seen him like in a confrontation. I don't confrontation. think he's great with confrontation. Yeah, and, and, and Sherm embraces confrontation. That's the thing that, that worries me. I want him back so bad. I kind of do too. I want him back. I mean, look, I wasn't here for the Richard Sherman era. All I know is oh, you that missed out, Paul. when I thought of the Seattle Seahawks, I did not think of Russell Wilson first. I'd think of him really quickly afterwards, but I always thought of Richard Sherman. And I know that there are some hard feelings that maybe some fans have about him going to the 49ers and some of the things that he said after the fact. I just like that he has always been on brand, stays true to himself, and is the most honest person that you are probably going to ever interact with in the National Football League. So bring him back. Please, for me. The way the interpretation, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, you guys. The the way that I always interpreted the interactions between Sherman and Doug and Russ wasn't that they necessarily were like, uh, hated that guy. It was pushing for accountability in a way that 
may feel unfamiliar to some people to be pushing on a franchise quarterback for accountability from people not the cornerback. Like, who, or quarterback, who pushes on Aaron Rodgers, any other player on that team, for accountability? No one. He's untouchable. Like, when you become a franchise guy and you're the highest paid guy and you're one of the top players in the league, you aren't going to get pushed back like that. But when you're, but when the people pushing you back are people that came in with you that are your age or a little bit older, the relationship started out very differently. Russell Wilson was their age, or in the case of Sherman, a year younger. Yeah, and so that's that's a part of it. It's also they were established. They felt because they had been there longer and that they vaulted to the top of the food chain of the totem pole on the Seahawks that maybe that, yeah, they are the people that should be deferred to. There is a part of me that wonders, just after I heard and heard Dominique Foxworth on with Pablo Torre this week and read that piece that he did and uh, the undefeated about Richard Sherman in detail, there's a part of me that wonders if, you know, Richard Sherman and Doug Baldwin got into fisticuffs like at practice, and apparently Doug Baldwin has a scar about it, and there's no hard feelings. I wonder if Russ was maybe aggressive in the way that you guys think maybe he's not the most confrontational person. What if Russ's DNA was different in that Russ is confrontational? Maybe they would have accepted him a little bit more because, you know, we talk about all the competition and how Richard Sherman, after intercepting Russell Wilson in a practice, is saying, like, bleep off, you know, just cussing at him and all these things. To me, that sounds like healthy competition. And maybe that's just me, and maybe I'm just used to aggressive people shouting and yelling at me and stuff. But <laughs> there's, a, there's a part of me that wonders if Russ was wired a little bit differently, if maybe they all would have seen eye to eye a little bit more as a stay. <laughs> very rambunctious bunch of brothers who are totally willing to squab with one another. You know, you know what it is? Russ is dealing with a complex, right? I'll use myself as an example. I grew up Culver City, West L.A. You think of L.A., West L.A., palm trees, it's all nice, right? And some of my boys are from East L.A. And we handle things differently. And they're, they're, they're super rah, rah, rah. I'm kind of laid back. Like I'm, I'm going to let it unfold, and I'll tell you what I think <laughs> about after this thing goes down. And in, in some instances, people don't respect that. And I feel like Russ is more like analytical, okay? I'm going to process this. I'm going to get my thoughts together. I'm not going to react in this moment, and, and then I'll have something for you. And when the Hawks had their greatest success – it was the defense that were the loudest. They were the rah-rah. They were confrontations. They were in your face. Boom. Now you got this clean-cut uh, Wisconsin, Virginia guy who, who just doesn't live that life. And they saw that maybe as a weakness when really that has become his strength because he's able to keep his wits about him when he's in certain type of moments. So, But they're grown now. They ain't kids no more. They grown. So they got to be able to, if they want to make this work, got to be able to sit down, have conversations, and just work through stuff. Well, and I think the incentives are different. Obviously, Doug Baldwin out of football at this point, having retired. Richard Sherman's still in football, though not with a team. Someone texting in saying, do you think Richard Sherman would want more money than the Seahawks are willing to give him? I actually don't. I, I think for Richard Sherman, who has made plenty of money throughout the not plenty, get your money, right? Get as much money as you possibly yeah. can. But Richard Sherman is also someone who... I think values legacy and and values pushing himself and values team and not always in the way you think of team, but values like seeing the limits of what people are capable of. And I wonder if that's one of those common denominators with Pete and Sherman that they both really value kind of the idea of really like pushing the limits of what you can accomplish. I think that Richard Sherman, if I were to guess, if I were to bet, Yes, you want to get money for your family and set up your family. Absolutely. And if you want to take just whatever team pays you the most, do it. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I wonder, though, if 
at this stage in his career, especially having most recently, having lost two Super Bowls, having been to three and lost two, if that left a sour enough taste that he's like, I want to go to a place where I can get back there. I don't like that taste in my mouth. I especially don't like it with with kind of twice over that taste in my mouth. Yeah. Especially when it wasn't on me, even though people will point to that last one. And, and in fact, both and say that was in part on the defense. But but I think that there's got to be a kind of itch, a kind of hunger that needs to be satisfied, that needs to be scratched. I'm hungry. Give me some Richard. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. He he you've been to the dance and you've been disappointed two times. And now you're at a point of your career to where I think it's perfectly fine for guys to chase rings once they hit their thirties. You hit your thirties in the NFL, man, you chase rings, you put yourself you've earned the right to put yourself in favorable situations, and I think that's what Sherm can do and will do. Will the Seahawks be part of that equation? I wouldn't mind. You just can't ignore that the identity of this organization and team has changed since the last time that Sherman was here, and he would he would just have to fall in line. All right, so that is a nice way to wrap all of this up, uh, the conversation about Richard Sherman, as in looking ahead to the moves the Seahawks could potentially make in free agency. John and Pete having their press conference now, by the way, at the time before the draft was over, so that they could go focus on unrestricted free agency, having left the draft with three picks, three new Seattle Seahawks, wide receiver Dwayne Eskridge, cornerback, Trey Brown, and offensive tackle Stone Forsyth. Three guys we learned a lot about over the last, uh, well, certainly today, over the last couple hours here, uh, and also yesterday in the case of Eskridge. And three guys we're going to learn about a lot more this summer when training camp gets underway, when rookie camp gets underway, when interviews get underway, and when we start to see exactly what the Seahawks team is becoming for 2021. He is Paul Gallant. Also joined by Michael Bumpus, I am Stacey Ross. That will do it for our draft coverage today of the 2021 NFL Draft. This is 710 ESPN Seattle. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't go anywhere.